Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome to my channel. My name is Dr. Tom LeHue. We're going to be looking at Enneagram Type 8 today. And uh, we're going to be uh, looking at the mental health of Type 8. Uh, so, just as a reminder, in the description below is a link to my website, tomlehue.com, where I do Enneagram and relationship coaching. I also offer a lot of different courses, uh, on-demand courses, and, and sometimes courses live on Zoom. And I'd love for you to consider uh, taking one of those courses. Most of them are about the Enneagram, but I have a few other things on there as well. And don't forget about my 10-day challenge. It's a popular course that help you get uh, unstuck in life and get moving forward again, clarify your goals, and and get back in the game of life. All right, so also I just want to thank my patrons. I really appreciate your support as well. I know you don't have to do it, and just thank you. Okay, so this um, series comes from my good friend, Tyler Zock, who is... Uh, uh, who posts uh, a lot of great information on Instagram. He has a YouTube channel called The Gospel for Enneagram. And he posted uh, some um, posts on Instagram the other day about the mental health of every type. And I talked to him about it and said, I'd love to turn this into a YouTube series. And he said, go for it. So uh, I have a dis uh, in the link in the description below to his uh, Instagram channel. So check that out. So we're going to talk about mental health of type 8s. And he just listed about seven or eight different things that I thought were interesting. And um, I just wanted to bring those to you guys and let you think about them. So in terms of, of type eights, he says um, he just goes through a list. And the first one on that list is a strong sense of responsibility. So you're going to see me looking at the list because what I'm doing is I'm looking right at the Instagram post. Strong sense of responsibility. So type eights. Um, he says, I often struggle with anxiety because I feel a strong sense of responsibility to fix everything and champion for everyone. This constant pressure can be overwhelming and exhausting. Needing to always be strong and independent can lead to neglecting my own needs. So how about that with you? Uh, do you have a very strong sense of responsibility? Um, you know, that sounds like a good thing. I mean, we would want people around us that have a strong sense of responsibility. But how does this sometimes work uh, not to your benefit? Uh, that strong need or that sense of responsibility to fix everything or take care of everybody or to protect everyone. I mean, that's probably one of the things that people appreciate about you. But in what ways does that cause problems for you? 
having that uh, strong sense of responsibility. Are you responsible to make sure everything goes okay? Do you feel that strong sense of responsibility to make sure that you don't have uh, any needs or that you're taking care of everybody else's needs or that nobody's having a problem? Or if something is going wrong, uh, do you feel that responsibility that you have to step in and you have to solve it and you have to take care of it? And probably 80% of the time, that might be the right thing to do, but there's always gonna be some percent of the time when maybe you need to step back and maybe you need to let others figure things out for themselves or you just need to let there be a problem. Like maybe somebody isn't taking responsibility in their own life and they know that you'll step in and take responsibility for them. And you might get aggravated with that, but until you step back and let them uh, face the consequences of their irresponsible behavior, they may never really learn to take responsibility for themselves. So number one on uh, the list is a strong sense of responsibility. Let me switch over to the next one. Uh, the, the general sense of being too much, uh, that you are too much, that's number two. And this is the statement that is on the Instagram post. I struggle with the fear of being too much, uh, and he put for therapists or professionals, um, but I think this could be much more general, like just too much all the time, like too much for other people. This fear can hinder my ability to fully open up and trust that other people won't discharge me due to my intensity or the intensity of my experiences. Do you get that general sense that you're too much for other people? Like if you were to join a small group at church or you were to join a volunteer team at an organization, um, just imagine, you know, all these people trying to do something good. Is there a hesitancy in you that, man, if I join that, I already know how it's gonna go. Somebody's gonna do something stupid, somebody's gonna say something stupid, and then I'm going to respond or I'm gonna tell them, you know, why are we doing it like this? Why don't we just do it like this? And then everybody gets upset and Martha gets her feelings hurt. And so I've just learned over time not to join. A lot of eights or what you might say non-joiners. I've just learned that joining things creates problems because I'm too much. I'm too much for other people. And I think it was Susan Stabil that said, you know, that the female eight is probably the most challenged and misunderstood person on the Enneagram. Because you want to get out there and you want to make a difference. You want to get out there and you want to help people. You want to join the organization and take responsibility for this and help people and fight for the cause. But then sometimes the message that you might get back from the other people on that team is, oh my goodness, yo, just too much. You're just too much, too intense, too, too straightforward, too direct, too loud, too magnanimous, um, too much. So I wondered, is that something that, you know, has come up uh, for you? And what do you do about that? Uh, do you have to limit yourself? Do you feel like you try to limit yourself or do you just quit trying to be a part of things? Uh, which is going to lead to one of the other ones coming up here in a minute where eights might tend to isolate themselves, but we'll talk about that when we get there. So the first one was a strong sense of responsibility. And the second one is the general sense that you're too much. I think it's funny, too much for a therapist or professional. Like if I were to go and really open up and tell this 
um, person what's really going on in my life and what's really going on in my marriage, they'd probably discharge me. Because, <laughs> you you know, I've had a lot of appointments with eights, and uh, I just learned that a lot of eights just swear, and it's just kind of part of their vocabulary. Not every eight, but a lot of eights do. And, you know, in certain pleasant environments, that could get you into trouble. I mean, think about joining the church choir, and uh, they're not probably going to uh, take well to somebody, you know, speaking the truth with... Uh, with lots of color. Okay, so number three is out of control. Out of control. And this is the statement. I tend to get triggered when I feel out of control. This can make me feel jittery and I need to engage in physical activities like working out to find a sense of calm. If I don't, I might channel my energy toward controlling the people around me, which can hinder my relationships. So do you ever feel like things are out of control or do you feel like you're out of control or that you're not in control of the things in life that you would like to be in control of? Really, you know, the fear of type eight is of being controlled by someone else. And, you know, sort of like a subset of that would be like the general sense that you're not in control uh, or that things are out of control. And I noticed in some of the comments on this Instagram post that people said, why is it that people always say eights have to go work out, you know, punch bags or something like that. And that probably does work for a lot of eights. But this person was saying, I just, I just find going for a walk to be all I need. And that's good. I mean, that's productive. If, if you're feeling upset, you're feeling frustrated, you're feeling out of control, to just figure out a way to... Um, to release some of that energy or some of that anxiety, which you probably don't like that word anxiety, but that's what it is, uh, to be able to go for a walk and get back into a more peaceful state. Walking can be a very healing and helpful, um, and it gets that physical body, which, you know, eights, nines, and ones up there in that gut group, gets that physical body like in that motion, that uh, routine, um, kind of hypnotic motion uh, can be good, could be good for you. So what do you do when things feel like they're out of control? Do you have somebody to talk to? Do you have somebody to interact with? Somebody that will let you um, be a little bit out of control without hitting the panic button? Um, I tend to feel triggered when things get out of control, jittery, and um, I, you know, I think one of the things about eights is when they're, when they're like that, my, my assumption is, is they're thinking, I gotta do something. Something needs to be done about this. You know, I went around the dial and I created like doing statements for every type. And right next to you, the nine, it's so different than the way you think as an eight is, is basically just, just tell me what you want me to do. And there's that nine right next to you. And the eight, I think, is a lot more like something needs to be done about this. And especially like, don't tell me what to do but something does need to be done about this. Just notice that 80% of the time, you're probably right. Something does need to be done about this. And by all means, step forward, take responsibility, take the leadership. People will often step out of your way because of your big, confident personality. Just realize that there's probably 20% of the time that you need to recognize that nine might be right sometimes. And maybe this isn't a time when anything needs to be done, except you need to learn to accept and persevere and endure. You know, not doing something doesn't mean you're not doing something. 
I know I have a, uh, a unique ability to speak uh, the simple truths, right? Not doing something doesn't mean you're not doing something. It might mean that you're waiting. It might mean that you are being more accepting of life. It might mean that you're being more tolerant of other people and their ways of doing things. It might mean that you are being more patient. And so sometimes, sometimes, I know this sounds counterintuitive to you, but I want you to think it through in your life. Um, sometimes the best way to deal with a problem is to not deal with it, is with benign neglect. Some people are best dealt with with benign neglect. And, and this can be a challenge for you and a growth point for you to realize there are times in life when the best course of action is for me to be silent for me to learn to accept things as they are and to not move forward on the impulse that I need to do something. Sometimes you'll just make it worse. Sometimes any action you take is just going to make it more difficult. And there are some challenges in life that you just have to learn to accept and realize nine right next to you understands this and would love to share that wisdom with you. So just knowing the difference, see, that's what maturity is. In my mind, that's what maturity is. Maturity doesn't mean as a seven, I can't be a goofball, that I can't be ridiculous, I can't be impulsive. It doesn't mean I can't be foolish. It doesn't mean I can't speak with goofy accents, you know. It doesn't mean I can't be playful. It just means, maturity means I need to know the difference between when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. In other words, we all have impulses. We all have an impulsive drive. Every Enneagram type is, can be, is very impulsed and compelled. It's just knowing when to push back on those impulses. And one of your impulses is, I need to get in control of this. I need to do something. I need to take action. And again, 80% of the time, 70% of the time, it probably works for you and works very well. So you start to overtrust it. You start to trust your strengths and don't realize that there's always going to be some times when this isn't the best impulse to act on. So out of control. Let's look at the next one. Isolate myself. Isolate myself. Now, I'd really like to spend some time on this one. Isolating myself. And let me just read the statement and then we'll talk about it. Do you have a tendency to isolate yourself when you're under stress or when things aren't going well or when you're not, you know, feeling up to par? This is with a statement. If I don't address my feelings underneath my anger, that's that's huge. That thought right there alone is huge. When you're feeling angry, let me pause there. Okay. When you're feeling angry, you might ask yourself, uh, what am I really angry about? And what you might learn to, what you might come to realize is anger isn't necessarily what you're really feeling. Anger is sometimes what you feel, but underneath that anger, there might be other things that are more difficult for you than anger. For example, disappointment. Um, or indecision, or um, anxiety or fear. You know, for example, let me run a scenario for you, okay? Imagine that you have an eight dad whose daughter is um, getting to that age where she's, you know, thinking about getting married and moving out of the house, and she's dating a young boy, and they are 
a really nice couple and everything's going well. And she starts to spend more and more time over at his home with his family. Now, as an eight, notice the temptation would be, I'm gonna feel angry about this. Why does she have to be over there all the time? Why didn't she call me? She never comes home. She's always over there spending time with his family. We're having a big barbecue and she didn't even text us to let us know she wasn't coming. Who's to blame for this? You know, and let me point out what's wrong with this boy and what's wrong with his family. And let me, and notice that there's this anger that's felt but if you would go beneath that anger, you might ask yourself this question. What would a normal dad feel right now? What would a normal dad? Now, I only say normal kind of tongue in cheek. Anybody who's not an eight, okay? What would a normal dad feel right now? Well, a normal dad would be feeling a sense of sadness and loss that, you know, my daughter is growing up and my little baby girl is growing up and she's moving on and I'm not number one in her life anymore. Somebody else has come into her life and that person is number one. And that vulnerable feeling of I'm, I'm handing my daughter over to this other person and she is now, you know, infatuated and fascinated with him and she wants to be where he is and she loves his family. All of that is a wonderful thing. Isn't that a wonderful thing that your daughter found someone that she loves and loves her back and that she's found a family that accepts her and loves her? But just notice that under that is a very painful and helpless feeling. There's nothing there I can control. And the thought of losing my kid or handing them over to these other people is a very humbling and frightening feeling. And so notice as an eight, if what you feel, you know, if it's almost like I prefer to feel anger because that makes me feel big and powerful and strong and capable and, and you know, blaming others. And just notice that underneath that feeling of anger, there may be other feelings that you don't really want to acknowledge and you don't really want to process. Because after all, think about it like this. Eights, your sin on the Enneagram is not anger. Your sin is lust. You know, going out into the world believing I have the right to just change stuff and move things and take things. That's your sin. Type one, their sin is anger. I mean, they're really the anger person. You're not really the anger person, but for all practical purposes, you could look the angriest of just about anybody on the Enneagram. But my contention is it may not always really be anger that is the appropriate emotion. It might be the one that you substitute because the other emotion that is appropriate could be more difficult for you to process. Anything that feels like a helpless child, you know, I need somebody to tell me what to do. That's going to be, you know, something that you'll tend to reject as an eight. Okay. So isolating myself, if I don't address the feelings underneath my anger, in other words, if I don't really process this, I don't really deal with this, I can easily slip into depression symptoms, neglecting self-care practices, such as maintaining a healthy diet, exercising, or spending time with others. In such moments, I may isolate myself and become a hermit. 
And I think this really speaks to that line to five that eights have under stress. They might look a little bit like a five. You know, at first they might become very investigative. You know, where were you? How come you didn't call me? I called three times, you didn't answer. Your friend didn't answer. I thought you said you were at your friend's house. So they might become investigative like that. But then, you know, think about it just this in this simple way. Eight is an assertive type. And you know you're an assertive person. Assertive means you wake up in the morning, you got an agenda, you're going after it, don't get in my way. Five is a withdrawn type. Fives insulate themselves away from the world. They're a fear type and they insulate themselves away from the world and they try to interact in the world in a way that doesn't impact them too much. So think of fives as being literally the hermit that lives on the edge of the village, you know, sort of, uh, con concocting potions and casting spells and learning how to slay dragons, you know, out of their dragon book. And so think of fives as being withdrawn, detached, unaffected, uh, not in need of others and not in need of much and their sin is greed and they can be stingy. And as an eight, when things aren't going well, you might look a little bit like that five in those ways detached, cold, sterile, um, unfeeling, uh, cruel, and isolated. I remember coaching an eight uh, lady one time who was having a difficult marriage. I don't remember the type that her husband was, maybe a nine or something. I don't remember. A lot of times eights and nines end up together. Uh, but I was coaching a lady who was an eight and she was so frustrated with her marriage that she moved to another state and lived on a horse farm. Out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of a desert, she lived on a horse farm. She was like, I'm just done with people. I'm done with my husband. I'm she, Now, she's so strong as an eight that she wasn't going to get a divorce because she's strong, see, she can handle it. And getting a divorce in her mind was like an acceptance of failure. And so she wasn't going to get a divorce, but she couldn't stay with him any longer. And so what did she do? She isolated herself and she literally lived out in the middle of a desert with just me and my horses. That's all I need. I got my single trailer and I've got my, uh, I got my horses. And she would just spend months at a time out there. Isolate myself. Okay, and remember, it's not that you're bad when you do this. When you look like the number you disintegrate to, it's not that you're being bad. It's just when you see an eight looking like a five, you would know, okay, this person has been under some stress. Things are not going well. Uh, they might need a little compassion. They might need a little extra support. They might need a little extra encouragement. Okay, so isolating myself. So what do we have here so far? Let's go back and review, okay? because. Let's keep it all straight. The eight mental health, number one, a strong sense of responsibility. I've got to make everything be okay. I've got to work everything out. I'm responsible for this dinner party and I'm responsible to make sure everybody's safe and taken care of, um, which is great. Again, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's just, it could it'd be very exhausting for you. Uh, number two, that general sense of being too much for other people. Number three, um, uh, when I get out of control, I sometimes have a hard time calming myself down um, and 
um, channeling that energy in a productive way, uh, isolating myself. And number next, I think it's number five, is a high, a higher risk for post-traumatic stress disorder. So a higher risk for PTSD. Now remember, all of this is in the context of like mental health. And so, you know, we're gonna see terms like ADHD and PTSD and OCD and all these kinds of like labels that the, uh, uh, th that community, you know, assigns to people. So here's, here's the statement for a higher risk of PTSD. My inclination to protect myself and others may make me more susceptible to traumatic experiences and put me at a higher risk for PTSD. My inclination to protect myself, that vigilance, you might say, um, and uh, make me more susceptible to traumatic experiences. And it's difficult for me to admit when someone else has hurt me. That's interesting, isn't it? Is it, is it uh, I suspect that it is the feeling that somebody got the best of me. I have to admit that I was a victim. And, you know, that could be very difficult when you generally believe about yourself that I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be humiliated or I'm not going to be, um, you know, the punching bag for someone else. And you know, it's funny, like you think about eights or like the rest of us think about eights as, oh, they would never put up with this. They would never take this. And that, that's kind of like a cartoony version of eights is like they're, they're Yosemite Sam, you know, they're not going to take nothing from nobody know how, right? And yet my experience in coaching uh, lots of people is that sometimes eights put up with environments and even abuse um, maybe uh, all too willingly like I can't admit that I can't handle this relationship or I won't let myself admit that I have become a victim I won't allow myself to admit now I'm probably not saying that right and I'm sure that as an eight yourself, you have a better way of saying that. Realize I'm a seven wing six. I got to work on my wing eight. So I'm sure I'm not saying this right, but I'm trying to give you a general sense of what I experience is that sometimes I will find eights in unhealthy relationships. And it's almost like I can't, I, first of all, I don't want to go get help because I'm an eight and I should be able to figure this out on my own. Thank you very much. I don't need some counselor or some therapist or some coach to tell me what I already know. And so you can kind of get yourself stuck as an eight, not allowing yourself to reach out for other people to support you who would love to support you. They love you and they would love to support you, but you can't show weakness and you can't admit that you're suffering or you might have a hard time admitting that you're suffering. Um, and then the general sense that if I say all this out loud, then I'm admitting that I have failed in some way, or I am admitting that I'm not strong enough to handle it on my own. Um, something like that is going on with eights because sometimes I see them in relationships and I think, I didn't think eights would put up with this. Like in my mind, eights would just kick that person to the curb and they wouldn't, they wouldn't deal with this. And yet I see eights like, enduring sometimes very unhealthy relationships or unhealthy environments. And I wonder if it comes from this general sense that I've got what it takes, I can handle it. 
And also, I can't admit that I need help, I can't admit that I need a life preserver, or I can't admit that I'm in over my head, or that I made a bad decision, and I should have listened to mom, I should have listened to dad, I can't admit all that out loud. Again, I'm sure I'm not saying this perfectly. Put it in the comments, what you think about that, you know? What's going on there, and help me understand it, okay? It's difficult for me to admit when someone else has hurt me, because I have allowed myself, I would assume it's like I have allowed myself to be hurt by somebody else and I shouldn't have allowed that. I am not going to be a victim. And yet, very realistically, is what you have to admit is that you can't always be in control of every, of every environment. Um, I remember working with a, an eight who, as a child, was abused um, by somebody important in his family and the way that he was able to come to accept this was well at least that person didn't abuse my other siblings and so i was strong enough to take that abuse and that was how he had to kind of formulate it in his head in order to be okay and what is that that's ptsd you know i mean and it might be hard for you to realize, like maybe you should go do some reading and research on PTSD because you might be struggling from it uh, or with it and not even realize it uh, because I don't have that. Whatever that is, those initials, I don't have that. Um, this fella did have PTSD from growing up in a household where he was abused by a family member that he was supposed to trust. But his way of kind of like resolving that in his head was at least I protected and notice how that eight, you know, has to. And that's fine. Go where you got to go in your head. Um, and he did. I protected my uh, my siblings. Now, honestly, he was a child. He didn't really protect his siblings, but he had to formulate that in his head to be OK with it because it should have never happened to him. And as a child, you know, you can't be in control of your environment. You're a kid. And it, it's so helpful to realize, like, this person that did this to you, they shouldn't have done it to you. They were in the wrong. They were bad. They were a bad person. They did the wrong thing. Okay. All right. So let's see. We're getting way too serious here, aren't we? I've had a strong inclination to deny it and to claim strength, but this denial only exacerbates the effects of the trauma. Let me read that again, okay? It's difficult for me to admit when someone else has hurt me. I have a strong inclination to deny it. You remember what the defense mechanism of, of AIDS is? It's denial. And maybe that's not only like denying your, your own poor judgment or actions, but it might also be in denying the reality of the crap you're living in right now saying, I can handle it, it's fine, it's no big deal, it's whatever, it's just the way it is, it's the way the world works. But my inclination is to deny that someone else has affected me so much and claim strength. I'm strong enough to handle it. You know, that vulnerable part of you, that that soft part of you, we, here's a secret. The rest of us love that. We love it. We love it when we see you tear up. We love it when we see your heart touched. We love it when you open up. Now, I know that when you make yourself vulnerable with people, you now give them ammunition that they could use against you. And some people will. 
I've had to learn that the hard way. Some people will, but the people that truly love you and care about you, the people that are connected to you, they love it when you soften up and open up around them. It's a wonderful thing when an eight trusts you to that level. Okay, and remember, at your best, you look like a two. Think about that. Eights are a assertive type. They withdraw under stress to a five, a withdrawn type, and look at what two is, compliant. Two is a compliant type. At your best, when things are going well, you become more compliant. It's okay, whatever everybody else wants. It's fine with me, no big deal. I don't need to be in charge. I just am here to support and encourage and help. And at your best, you help others and you empower others. You tend to help people by empowering them. Now, an unhealthy eight will disempower people, but a healthy eight empowers other people, reminding them to own their life and stand in their space. Okay, what do we have left here? Um, difficulty accepting emotions. That's the next one. Difficulty accepting emotions. And you're like, oh, please, Tom, talk about something else. Ugh, emotions. I have difficulty accepting emotions like sadness or fear. What about within yourself? Um, when you feel sad about something, when you feel afraid, do you, do you immediately flip that to, oh no, I can't feel that, who's to blame, what's wrong here? Do you flip that to anger? And I think that what happens with eights is they kind of like translate fear and translate sadness or translate indecision or anxiety into anger. Um, but if you could pause and go beneath the surface, remember we talked about this, right? And when I do, there's a loud voice in my head that berates me suggesting I shouldn't have allowed the pain to happen because if I were at my best, I would have been able to control it. Mm. That's a lot of pressure. Does anything happen to you? That's a good way of thinking. What happens to you? Because all of us in life, we do take action and we do make decisions and we do affect our environment. All of us have the right to go out and turn dials and change things in life. But all of us also have things that happen to us. Are you okay with the idea that other people and their behaviors and their decisions and their sins, that those things happen to you and you can't control everything that happens to you? How does that thought bounce around in your head? Is that a thought that you're okay with? Have you come to accept that or do you do you reject that way of thinking and realize i mean i believe that's reality and if you're not in touch with reality you're not in touch with reality so let's get in touch with reality and say some things i control some things i don't control some things i do to others some things others do to me some of it is good some of it is not so good I have to know the difference between when it's time to stand up, speak, and do something, and when it's time to accept, um, tolerate, and um, 
live with. And though that knowing that difference can make the difference. Okay. Next, and we're getting close to the end here, controlling anger. Now I noticed in this comment on Instagram, uh, there were several people that responded to this like, yeah, that's not me. Yeah, I don't know about this one. This is the one I don't know about. So I'm just gonna read what's here and then maybe we'll try to figure it out together. Controlling anger. Given my strong-willed nature, it can be challenging for me to control anger or aggressive outbursts. In other words, they just kind of come out. It just kind of happens, you know. And I always say that eights tend to win battles, but sometimes end up losing the war because they just say maybe what's on their mind. I know, I know a lot of eights don't, and you're very aware. You're very aware of what you don't say, and probably you should be appreciated more for everything you didn't say and everything you didn't do. But given my strong-willed nature, it can be challenging for me to control my anger or my aggressive outbursts, making me more vulnerable to experiencing symptoms of intermittent explosive disorder, or I like this one, ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. And probably there's a little bit of that in all of us, but eights, yeah. It's important for me to recognize this and consider seeking professional help to effectively manage these struggles, as doing so can safeguard my relationships, promote my emotional well-being. Um, do you feel like you control your anger? Um, do you feel like your anger gets out of control? And uh, realize, I think there is something to be said that sometimes opposition is a good thing. I mean, you guys as type eights, you are the prophetic voice in our culture that says, that's BS. I'm calling that out. And, you know, that isn't a bad thing. There needs to be people in our world that points at evil, that points at injustice, that points at um, things that are not fair and calls it out. We definitely need that. We need that prophetic voice in our culture. Um, but that's got to be balanced, right? You have, think about this, every eight, look at the, let's just talk about this for a second. You can, in a sense, learn everything you need to know about what an eight is by looking at the two wings. Because you need both of those wings to help soften your eightness. Look, one wing is a seven, which is, be positive. Try to be focused more on what's good. Try to be more upbeat, lighthearted. Um, laugh at yourself. And then your other wing's a nine, which is saying, let it go. Don't worry about this. This isn't a big deal. Try to understand the other person's perspective. And in a sense, you can kind of see everything you need to know about what an eight is just by looking at these are the two wings that help this eight, make it in life. If you're going to make it in life, you got to learn to lean into those wings and you got to say, okay, wow, I'm such an eight. I need to be a little more positive right now and be a little more assertive in a positive way. Like what can we do to fix things? What can we do to make it better? Or I need to learn to withdraw, not like a five, but withdraw like a nine. Like, eh, this isn't a big deal. I don't need to worry about this. I just need to try to let it go. This isn't a fight I need to get in. And look, right next to you is nine, controlling anger. Okay, uh, next, incorrect assumptions. Assumptions, incorrect assumptions. Others often make incorrect assumptions about me, 
believing that I can handle my burdens on my own or dismiss my intense emotional processing as just dramatic or intense instead of acknowledging my genuine pain. Let me say it like this. Other people have come to expect that you are strong, capable, and independent. And most of the time you are. But you also are a human. You're not a superhuman. You're a human like the rest of us. And because you're a human, there will be times when you need support. You need other people in your life who you can count on, who will encourage you. And I get it. You give 110 or 120% of yourself to your relationships you care about. And you're probably often very disappointed when those same people aren't really there for you in your time of need. And it's very hard for you to admit that you're going through a time of need. And the rest of us look at you as somebody who doesn't really need my help. You're a pretty big, powerful, strong person. You don't cry at sad movies. You're a strong, powerful person. So what do you need my support for? And this could, you know, be a pattern that could be very difficult for you because in your time of crisis, you might not feel like you have the support from your community around you that you need. And I would just encourage you in this moment to allow yourself to be vulnerable with the people you trust and let them know, hey, I really need you right now. I really need somebody to talk to right now. I'm going through some stuff. And that's going to maybe be hard for you to be vulnerable like that and say, I'm in over my head. Hey, Tom, I'm in over my head. I need somebody to talk to. Um, and that might be the beginning of initiating that support that you need. And it's good to be strong and it's good to be powerful. But even, you know, the old saying, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. Um, and every one of us needs, you know, support in life. That doesn't make you weak that you need support, it makes you human. All right, last one, low-grade paranoia. Low-grade paranoia. And paranoia, if I understand it right, it's like an anxiety or a fear that you have that other people, what are they up to? You know, other people, can I trust them? What's going on with them? What do they mean by that? Okay, I may live with a low-grade paranoia from fear of being betrayed, the never-ever behavior for an eight, never betray an eight. I let you into my fort, and then you turn around and stab me in the back. Okay, the fear of being betrayed, hurt, or taken advantage of, if I let my guard down, making me prone to plotting, muddled thinking, or acts of revenge. Um, and so... That, of course, could become a real challenge or a real problem for you uh, because you so much want to trust people and you want to bring them into your fort and you want to have them close to you. Um, are you able to let your guard down? Do you, Have you figured out when it's appropriate to let your guard down, when it's not appropriate to let your guard down? Um, realize that seven and nine right next to you we tend to maybe be a little too naive. Like, everybody's my friend. Everybody's my friend. And everybody means well. And everybody treats me well. Oh, wow, I'm surprised. This person actually wasn't my friend. 
And then realize like six and eight on either side are like, no, they're not your friend. You need to keep your eyes open. Don't turn your back on your enemy. And seven and nine are saying, my enemy? I don't have any enemies. And I just love how this works, you know, when you think about the Enneagram. But um, a low-grade paranoia and fear of being betrayed. Um, it's real. Okay. So let's look at let's look at these again. Let's look at them in order. I'm going to click through them once again and just kind of remind myself what they are. Type 8, strong sense of responsibility. The general sense of being too much. Feelings of out of control. Isolating myself. Higher risk for PTSD. Difficulty accepting emotions. Controlling anger. Incorrect assumptions and low-grade paranoia. Okay, thank you guys for uh, sticking with me through this video. And as always, I'm here to help in any way I can. If uh, if you reach out to someone like me or someone you know else out there, that doesn't mean that you're not strong. That doesn't mean that you're not capable. Uh, it means you're taking steps to improve your life and taking steps to improve your relationships. It's not a sign of weakness. Uh, every one of us at times needing needs encouragement and needs support. So just know that I'm here for you. I don't understand you perfectly, but I think I get it pretty well. And the Enneagram is such a powerful tool in helping us to bypass a lot of unnecessary talk to get over the problem and be as productive as efficiently as possible. So this is a really great way of dealing with problems. As soon as you tell me, I'm an eight, married to a two, I'm an eight, married to a three, immediately we start to get to, oh, well, these are the potential problems. And it's amazing how the Enneagram can be super helpful in relationship coaching. All right, guys, I'll see you next time. And as always, be present to life.